pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for just the opportunity to be here with our brothers and sisters. We pray, God, in these moments that you would speak to our hearts, that you would move in power, that we'd sense your presence near us, that any words that are uttered, that are not of you, that they would fall to the wayside. And we would hear what you have for us. It would pierce our hearts. It would change the way we walk. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine for a minute a young man comes to you asking to marry your daughter. And he begins this way. I need to ask if you can consent to your daughter and me marrying and moving to a foreign country early next spring. There's a chance you may never see us again and we will face all the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. These are the words that Adoniram Judson wrote to his future in-laws. In 1812, Adoniram Judson married Anne and they set sail for India as some of the first Christian missionaries to go out to, uh, to go out from America. Growing up, Anne Judson was an ordinary girl, raised in a church-going family. She learned to do right and avoid wrong. If Anne went to high school today, uh, she'd probably be a really popular girl. She would probably would have been the captain of the cheer team, top of her class. And always out having a good time with friends. That's just who Anne was. She was the life of the party. And when Anne was 16 years old at a revival in town, she gave her life to Jesus. She started following Jesus. Of course, as we all know that when you make that decision to follow Jesus, everything doesn't all of a sudden get easier. And it can be hard to just let control go and let God have your life. And so Anne struggled to give up her party life. For her new life with Jesus. But over the next year, God just worked on her heart. And he's worked on her heart. He gave her this curiosity and this hunger to know God's word and for theology. And so she read everything she could get her hands on. And over that time as she studied, God gave her a heart for missions. He gave her a heart for her future career. She began as a school teacher. And she saw that as her mission field, and she started pouring her heart out to her students, sharing her faith with her students. Little, though, did Anne know that God had even bigger plans. When she was 21 years old, that's when the four men, young men, showed up at her and her parents' church, talking about this vision that God had given them to plant a church in India. And so as they asked support of the church, little did Anne know that one of those men, Adoniram, would become her husband. In fact, a year and a half later, she found herself married to Adoniram on a boat on their way to India. Through a series of unfortunate events, God moved their vision from India to Burma, to modern-day Myanmar, where Anne faithfully spent her entire life sharing her faith. Despite years of poverty and war and her husband's imprisonment and her own disease, God used her in countless ways She translated the first book of the Bible ever into Thai, the book of Matthew. She started a woman's school, and she planted the Burmese church. And this is just a little snapshot of Ann Judson's life. 
And so I encourage you to take some time this week, look up her story. I think you'll find it really challenging. I don't know about you, but for me, I can really relate to the first part of her story, that struggle to give up control, to let God have control of my life. And the second part of her story, I think, is the part I struggle to connect with. This extraordinary call that she just had this sense. She just knew that she was to get on this boat and head over to India. You might have heard the word around church, this word of call. This idea that we see it throughout Scripture in the Christian faith. We talk about a calling from God. That moment when we just feel like God has reached out and grabbed a hold of us. Who can forget some of these big moments of calling that we find in Scripture? Abraham, he split an animal in half and God comes as a burning pot of fire between the halves of meat. Or Moses out tending sheep in a field and a flaming bush begins to speak. God calling Moses. Or David out doing what his father asked in the field and a prophet comes and says, I want that little rug rat out there. Or Jesus walking up to some professional fishermen saying, hey, quit your jobs and come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Or Apostle Paul, frustrated, can't find where God would want him to preach and then has a vision of a man, a Macedonian man calling out, come help us, come to Europe. I find it easy sometimes to hear these dramatic stories of Call and Judson's and these in the Bible and to just kind of push them off and say, that's extraordinary. That's not for me. I don't know about you, but that idea of having this clear, clear sense of call, sometimes it just doesn't seem to match with what my experience is. And so if you feel that way this morning, if you have that sense, then does that mean that we can just sit on our hands And do nothing because we haven't had that lightning lightning bolt moment. No. That is clear from Scripture that we as followers of Jesus, we are all called to be missionaries. To be on mission with God. It's a really simple idea and we see it all throughout Scripture. But it's real easy to miss is that we each, if we say we are followers of Jesus, we are all called to be missionaries. So easy of an idea, it just can slip through our fingers. So I want us to dwell there this morning. Imagine for a moment if we each pursued our careers, our friendships, and families with the same intentionality and purpose as that of Anne and Adoniram Judson, or that of any other missionary. It begs the question then, where does this term missionary come from? Turn with me, Acts 1.8. We're going to see here in Acts how Jesus calls his disciples into this missionary life as he frames what missionary means. Acts 1.8, Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples moments before he ascends into heaven. He's resurrected. He spent 40 days with all the different followers. And now he's preparing to leave. And these are the final words he utters. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is just one of these passages of scripture that haunts me. 
And it's transformed me in so many different ways. One little sentence that just keeps being this drumbeat that keeps changing the rhythm of my life. So one transformation for me is how this term missionary is so often misused. All too often we define missionary as someone who goes out and shares the good news of Jesus to some far-flung-off place. And if we don't feel led that way, we don't have that lightning bolt moment, then we say, oh, I'm off the hook. I'll send some money. I'll pray. But that missionary thing, it doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Acts 1.8 undoes that whole entire notion. And if we look at this first part where Jesus begins with this huge but, he says, but. His disciples once again have misunderstood what they were all about. They're asking, hey, are you now going to overthrow the government? You're going to come. You're going to take Israel, make it a nation again. And his only answer is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so as you hear me say that we're all called to be missionaries, you may roll your eyes and say, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me because for whatever reason that pops in your mind. But Acts 1.8 pushes back on that. Acts 1.8 says, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. And because we've received the Holy Spirit, we're witnesses. We're witnesses just in the very fact that we've received the Holy Spirit. And because we are supernaturally gifted and tasked with the Holy Spirit, we have to go and we have to give witnesses. This is one of the very reasons we're given the Holy Spirit. is so we can go and join God on his mission to redeem creation to himself. If we flip through the pages of Acts, we'll see this crazy story of how thousands and thousands came to be followers of Jesus in a matter of few years. But it's not just followers of Jesus that are recorded in Acts. It's churches. We see dozens and dozens of churches planted on three different continents in only a matter of few years. And how does that happen? And it all comes down to this power of the Holy Spirit coming on those who choose to be followers of Jesus. But if it were only the small group of the first followers, 120 or however many were there, in those first few, it would have never happened this way. It was that the Holy Spirit came on them and they went out and they shared. And then every single one who believed and became a follower of Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit and they went out in the power and became a witness. And it was this exponential and intentional sharing that caused this explosive spread of the good news. Not a single one of them balked at the fact that they were called to be a missionary. And this same Holy Spirit comes on us as followers of Jesus, calling us to be witnesses. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we are these witnesses. Too often, I think we hide behind the word Christian because Christian has lost its missionary sound, its missionary purpose in our day. But if we look at Christian, it means we're followers of Jesus. We're little Christ. And Christ came to be a witness. He came to point to Jesus, or he became to, Jesus came to point to God, came to point to the all-powerful God of the universe. And so if we're going to follow him, we're going to do the same. 
And he empowers us for the task. And this empowering should perk our ears and make us consider maybe we in fact are called to be missionary. Growing up, I had this very definite picture of what a missionary was. In my mind, a missionary was the special forces Christian. When I learned about telling someone about my faith, that it had a fancy name. It was evangelism. And when I was taught evangelism, there were specific Bible verses and specific things I was supposed to say about Jesus. And I was told I had a time limit. You have four minutes before someone loses focus and attention and they won't listen to you anymore about Jesus. So I was trained in all these ways to talk about my faith. And if I was met any resistance when I was talking about my faith, I was told all these different ways to combat those responses. And I was told this was apologetics. So a missionary in my mind began to be someone who knew how to do these things and knew how to do them well. And so then this person would go out and walk around a city and approach random strangers and start talking to them about Jesus. At this point, I knew I was out. I didn't want anything to do with walking up to random strangers and talking to them about Jesus. And, and also, I didn't feel qualified. I thought this was a task better left up to the experts. So I felt underqualified and squeamish at the prospect of talking to another person about Jesus. And for me, there became this huge rift of what it was like to talk about my faith, talk about Jesus, and just talking about my normal, everyday life. So there wasn't a rift in the way I lived it out, but I just got to this point where I couldn't share my faith. I couldn't do it. I felt underqualified. But then God got a hold of me and took me through two major shifts in my thinking over several years. I don't know how it is for you in spiritual growth, but for me, it's a lot more like a river carving a valley than it is a volcano exploding out the side of a mountain. And this first shift that God gave me was putting a genuine care in my heart for other people. And so I began to develop this curiosity and this hunger to understand what other people thought about God and Jesus and faith. And over the course of time, I realized my friends, believers and not, were doing what I couldn't do. They were openly talking about their faith. They were openly talking about their relationship with Jesus Or their lack of faith and their lack of a relationship with Jesus. And there was no gap between the way they talked about their everyday life and they talked about their spiritual life or their lack of a spiritual life with Jesus. And through this realization, God brought the second shift in my thinking. In all my training in evangelism and apologetics, everything focused on the past. What Jesus had done in the past how I had become a Christ follower in the past. And my aha moment was learning to talk about God in the present. Not by telling, I'm not telling you these two shifts in my thinking to t- say anything partic- against a particular type of evangelism or apologetic method. Instead, for me, this transformational moment was when I realized that I could point to a God who was supreme and sovereign and he was at work right at this very moment in my midst. So for me, talking about my everyday life and talking about God were one and the same because God was active and he was moving right there in my very midst. And who can see God work and keep their mouth shut? Not I. I finally could talk. I could finally share my faith when I realized it wasn't a competition. It was a conversation. 
And when I realized I was bearing witness to something, not just something that had happened in the past, but to an all-powerful God working right now. I realized this is the very essence of bearing witness found here in Acts 1-8, where Jesus calls his disciples to go out and to be missionary, to go out and give witness to a God who is at work. We are called to be a missionary Not to be someone who can walk up and debate facts about God with random strangers. We are called to be friends to those who are hurt, who are sick, who are brokenhearted and far from God. To listen and share the hope of a God who is active in each and every day of our lives. We may not encounter a burning bush. We may not encounter a blinding light. But in Acts 1-8, we find three callings on each and every one of us. We are called to believe. We are called to go there. And we are called to go here. Our first calling is implied here in Acts 1-8. He's speaking to his followers of Jesus. And our first calling is this. is simply Jesus says, come follow me. We are told in the Bible that each and every one of us has sinned. We've rebelled and we're broken off. We're set off from God. We've given ourselves the throne of our lives and not let God sit there. But God in his great love sent Jesus to die for our sins and give us eternal life. And so if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is God, that he's our leader of our life, then we're saved. When we get up off the throne of our life and we say, God, you sit here, we will be saved. And once we've decided to follow Jesus, once we give up that throne to him, we begin to feel these next two callings on our lives. And Jesus says here in Acts 1-8, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be witnesses to Jesus to the ends of the earth? It's this calling to go there. It's important for us to understand this world beyond our borders. I once had a pastor who from the pulpit over and over again would say that it's important for every American Christian to leave their country once every five years. I didn't know what he meant at the time that I heard that. But over the last several years, I've been changed by leaving home, sitting across the table from a young modern Turkish Muslim couple, challenged my stereotypes, walking in rural Chinese village, shattered my understanding of poverty, and encountering Christians from all over the world has informed my understanding of how to live out the Christian faith. So after traveling, I agree with this pastor that we need to get out of here We need to go and see how the rest of the world lives and how Christians beyond our borders practice their faith. So hopefully you have had or will have an opportunity to travel to another country or culture. But even if you don't have this opportunity, we are called to have a globally minded faith. We are to be sensitive to the needs of the world and understand that our Christian sisters and brothers provide us a variety of new perspectives to our faith. In seminary, I had this small group that I was required to meet with. And the awesome thing about that was my leader was from Ghana. And so over those years meeting with this leader and with our small group, his views were so different coming from a West African nation 
on Scripture, prayer, and faith that it challenged me at every turn. It was like I never heard Scripture before. It was like I had never heard prayer before. And so in this information age, there's so many ways to engage with the world around us. And we need to take every opportunity to challenge ourselves in this way. We're called to know about what is going on in the church around us and committed to praying for the church around the world. One caveat there before we go further, I want us to also just challenge our thinking because we can't say, oh, we've got to know about the world around us. We've got to pray for the Christians around us and sit there and think that for a second, we as Americans are the center of all Christianity. That's not true any longer, nor is that healthy. We're not the center of Christianity. We're not the center of Christian growth. And we're no longer, as America, even the center of the missionary sending nations. And I say this only to point out that by the grace of God, all of that has shifted to the global south, to South America, to Africa, to India. These nations that hold so much more population are now on fire for Jesus, who are spreading the gospel like it's never been spread before. And that should challenge us to reach out, to understand how our sisters and brothers across the world are doing faith and are doing this relationship with God. So we're called to go to the ends of the earth, both in short-term ways and in having a globally-minded faith. And of course, I don't want to bounce over the fact that some of us are in fact called to go and pour out their lives abroad like the Judsons. We all should be open to hearing that if this is how God speaks. But that's not all that Acts 1.8 says. Let's look here. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says that we are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria. In effect, he's saying, I want you to be witnesses in this city, in this state, and in this nation. I want you to be my witnesses here. You are called to go here. And so when I say we are called to be missionaries, I think this is part of the calling that we forget the most often, is the calling to go here. We've entered into a new cultural climate here in the United States that scholars call post-Christian. And all that means is that Christian is no longer the norm. Christian values and church attendance are not a part of the fabric of an average American's life. And this may sound unusual and it may sound alarming, but this is the very same cultural environment that Jesus and his followers were in 2,000 some odd years ago here in Acts 1. Jesus was calling these folks to be witnesses in their city, in their state, and in their country. Not to try and change the government. Not to try and change the way things are. They couldn't. These disciples had no power. Instead, Jesus wanted them to live differently in a way that points to God. Followers of Jesus are called to be a contrast community that is within and part of a culture. Providing that contrast, pointing to God. And we are called to be missionaries. We are called to go here. Page after page of the New Testament contains 
Christians who are missionaries in the middle of their everyday lives. We have Lydia, a seller of purple, who after a visit from Paul, plants a church in her town, plants a church in her home. Priscilla and Aquila, who have a leatherworking business in Corinth, who are also evangelists in that city. Even the Roman governor Sergius Paulus in Acts 13 becomes a believer. And we could go on and on. Over the past several years, I've had the opportunity to travel and meet ministers all over the world. And they're leaders, they're aid workers, entrepreneurs, doctors, scholars, farmers, photographers, and lawyers. All this to say, we have a model in the New Testament and the world around us of people being missionaries in their day-to-day rhythms. We too are called to be missionaries in our day-to-day lives. Being a missionary can sound intimidating, but remember in Acts 1-8, this simply means we are witnesses. We point out God's love and his active work to those around us. So this morning, as we prepare to leave this place, I want us to take a moment and reflect We've heard Ann Judson's story of how God called her out of a self-seeking lifestyle to a selfless life that led her around the world. We may not find ourselves in a foreign land, but God has placed a missionary call on each of us. So we're going to pause and we're going to pray. I'll be up here at the front. If You can come and pray down here. You can pray where you are. But let's take a moment and let's just consider how God might be calling us.